Hello, hi, and welcome to The Tax Files. My name is Ali Kazmi, and I'm delighted to be joined today by my co-host, Ekta. Good morning, Ekta. Good morning, Ali. Welcome again to The Tax Files, a monthly audio podcast where alongside an esteemed guest, we will be discussing the most pertinent topics for tax and accounting professionals, while also getting to know key members of the tax industry a little bit better. Ali, how have you been? I'm really good. Uh, a lot slimmer since you last saw me. Uh, <laughs> I've been fasting and uh, going to the gym and uh, there's a new me about to emerge. What about <laughs> yourself? How, how have you been? I've been good, Ali. God, I've, I've probably gone exactly the opposite way. I've, I've gone, uh, I've paid subject to all of the Easter eggs and, and chocolates that's been knocking around for the last sort of couple of weeks. So uh, while, while you're emerging as a new and better you, I'm emerging as a slightly heavier uh, me at the moment. But it's all in good fun. We've still got a few weeks before summer kicks in, so it's not panic crisis yet. Which well, is a good you know, if you've got spare uh, Easter eggs, you know which way to send them. <laughs> God, they're just coming out of everywhere at the moment, the Easter eggs, aren't they? I've seen so many different types this year. I think the most uh, the most interesting one that we've gotten uh, gotten through is is a drumstick Easter egg, which do you remember those retro sweets from the, the 70s? Uh, they, they well, created... Why are you asking me about retro sweets? <laughs> <laughs> Not directing at your boy in, in any reason. Um, but yeah, there's amazing what they've done this year, actually. But I need to clear all of this out of my house. No more Easter eggs and, and focus on shredding for the summer, to be honest. Well, look, today is the second episode of, of The Tax Files, where we're joined by Bill Dodwell, who leads the Office of Tax Simplification. Bill has had an illustrious career in taxation, having held senior roles at Arthur Anderson and Deloitte and more recently has been at the forefront of tax policy development. Yes, we will shortly begin by asking Bill about his background, uh, his recent work, and uh, discussing interesting topics like wealth taxes and capital gains taxes. Um, also some recent uh, news stories, uh, as well as our now famous rapid fire round, uh, which, um, uh, we'll ask some personal questions just so that we can get to know a little bit more about Bill and his background. Yes. Well, welcome, Bill. We're delighted to have you join us. How was Easter? Oh, very quite, very good. Beautiful weather. Um, so, uh, yes, no, enjoyed it. Yeah. Caught up with the family, which is also good over the time. Nice. Hopefully we haven't had our five days of summer for the year in, in one weekend here in the UK. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> Excellent, Bill. Uh, welcome and a pleasure to be talking to you again since our old Deloitte days. Perhaps we could start off by asking what was the key moment that started you on your tax journey? Ah, well, that, that, that's a really interesting question and I struggle to explain it is the honest answer. Um, I studied law at university. Um, I went to King's College and I didn't include any tax there, but I had to stay at home uh, with my parents who you know, were in the London area, um, really for financial reasons, it, it's true to say. Um, and I then thought it'd be really great to go and do a, a master's degree and you know, move away from home and that sort of thing. And I was fortunate to get a, a you know, at the time, a full grant, which is obviously uh, completely unknown today. Um, and so I went to Cambridge and uh, did a master's in law. And for some reason, I was particularly interested in tax. I wanted to study that. And it was great because um, 
my first instruction in tax came from a real master, uh, John Tiley. Um, you know, one of the sort of great writers of tax and one of the great teachers, I think. Um, sadly, no longer with us, but, but you know, a really great person. And I still remember the lectures and the difference between the fruit and the tree and, you know, those sort of critical components of tax that sort of helped get me into it. I've even got my very first yellow book, which dates back to that sort of period. It's a very slim little volume. Um, modest number by comparison with today's uh, legislation, of course, but that's what got me in. And I then thought, well, we're next. And so I joined Arthur Anderson. Wow. Bill, you'll have to hold on to the, the Slim Yellow book. I'm sure it's going to be worth <laughs> something on, uh, on auction value <laughs> in a few years' time. So so amazing that that kind of got you started off on, on the tax sense. What motivates you from a tax perspective? You know, kind of what, what keeps you interested in, in this subject after so many years? Well, it, 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 as we know, it's a complicated subject and it's ever-changing. Um, there's something different in tax, you know, almost every day, certainly every week. And I think that's a really enjoyable part of the role. Um, I've also, you know, I've been an advisor throughout my career um, and trying to take, you know, the complicated parts of tax and put it in a manner that a business person or, you know, just occasionally somebody dealing with their own family affairs, trying to put it in a manner that is relevant to them and is understandable so that they can make the right sort of informed choices. I mean, I think that's a, a really great aspect of the role. Um, and the other aspect I would always highlight is working in a team. Uh, I did at one stage think about going to the bar, um, but I'm glad I, I, I didn't you know, even attempt to do that. Um, Teamwork is so much uh, more enjoyable, I, I think, all round. Yes, amazing. Excellent. So, Bill, you and I met uh, when I was at Deloitte, and uh, one of the things which I didn't see was obviously the Anderson-Deloitte uh, transition you were there, weren't you? Yes, no, I, I was uh, an equity partner in a general partnership, um, which caused people a certain amount of alarm because, you know, for those who don't know the history, you know, Arthur Anderson was one of the big five at the time, one of the sort of, you know, major networks uh, across the, uh, the world. Um, and due to problems with their US audit practice, um, they ended up, you know, essentially the US audit practice crashed. Um, and it had a criminal prosecution for which it was eventually found not guilty. Uh, but nonetheless, it was a complete disaster for the firm. And so the, you know, the UK firm, or the people in it rather, to put it more accurately, um, eventually joined Deloitte. So, um, you know, I joined Deloitte on the 1st of August 2002. And, um, you know, I, I I would pay great credit to the the leaders of Arthur Anderson and Deloitte at the time in the UK, because they worked really hard to put together, you know, what were two similarly sized tax practices overall, um, and they did it in a manner that we meshed together really well. Um, so great credit for that. And part of that was I joined the tax policy group um, in Deloitte. Um, so I ended up doing some client work, about half my time, and the rest was spent on knowledge sharing, training, 
um, and most importantly, contact with government in the sense of you know, talking to HMRC and responding to consultations, um, both from the Treasury and HMRC and also more broadly, the OECD and the EU at the time. Wow. I mean, the rate of change that you must have seen over the years and, and the different profiles of, of tax and, and what's been thrust into the spotlight versus sort of some of the new things that were coming up. How was that process of evolving? I mean, you've almost been through the the, the kind of journey of, of how tax has evolved from corporation personal <laughs> point of view your, your entire career, which is uh, which is amazing. How how was that evolution for you? Well, I, I don't think tax is static. Um, you know, we can all look forward to continued change and new and different taxes coming along, uh, particularly in the environmental area, of course. Um, but, you know, what, what has happened essentially was that globalization and international business really took off. Um, you know, when I, I first started, we had exchange control in the UK. Um, and it didn't take very long for that to disappear uh, under Margaret Thatcher, of course. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we had really high rates of income tax. And again, those were uh, reduced by um, Sir Geoffrey Howe, Lord Howe, um, as he became, and uh, Nigel Lawson as well. So we saw the sort of transformation of the system generally. Now, alongside all those rate reductions, you actually saw the base being extended quite significantly. Mm -hmm. um, so actually, the tax take hasn't reduced at all. Um, what has happened is that it, it sort of taken from us and taken from business in a, in a different sort of manner. Mm. And if you look over time, what, what has happened, um, income tax is as important as ever. It makes just as big a contribution to, you know, the total tax take as it ever did. Um, corporation tax has actually grown a little bit uh, overall, despite the rates coming down, partly covered, of course, by the reduction in tax relief for fixed assets, capital allowances, and so on. Um, but VAT has come up in importance. Uh, and against that, some sort of specific consumption taxes have been substantially reduced in importance. We're all aware, for example, of the fact that fuel duty has been frozen uh, in real terms for at least the last decade. And that's just one example of you know, a specific consumption tax reducing whilst the impact of VAT has, uh, has rocketed upwards. The other tax that's gone up a lot is Nash Insurance. Um, you know, those rates have gone up. Uh, employers now pay even more than they did before. And that has widened the gap between employed and self-employed people, um, which I think is one of the, you know, significant problems of the UK tax system generally. Excellent. Uh, so, Bill, one of the things that I recall is I was studying philosophy and I found this book that was called Philosophy Made Easy. And I walked into my class with that. And uh, not only was I sort of like singled out by the lecture and made fun of, for, uh, you know, everybody had a bit of a laugh at my expense. Uh, but it was explained to me that by definition, it's, uh, it can't be made simple. And uh, now that you occupy this thing called the Office of Tax Simplification. Is that not a contradiction in terms? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, that's a very good question. Um, the office, as you as you know, was set up in 2010, and we are the independent advisor to government, particularly the Chancellor, on tax simplification. Um, can our system be made simpler? Well, uh, yes and no. Um, I think you have to remember, as I'm sure we all do, simplification shouldn't be a policy in its own right. Simplification should be a principle that is used by governments when designing tax and when implementing tax. Because the overarching policies, the ones of you know raising enough money to cover public services, encouraging or discouraging particular activities, um, you know, trying to deal with market failure, if you like, by putting incentives into the system. Um, you know, redistribution is another sort of key part of taxation policy. Um, so those are the big policies, if you like, that government makes choices about. But trying to make it simpler for people overall leads to better compliance, more trust in the system, and you know a general ease of, of of dealing with tax generally. For me, it's really important that people should understand the implications for either their business or their family choices of you know how the tax system affects them and make the best choice overall, armed with that sort of knowledge and broad understanding. Excellent. Well, I just as a tax advisor, I hope uh, you're not too successful in what you do. <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> yeah, but you'd rather deal with a better informed client, wouldn't you? Um, because, tax, as you know, business is really complicated. And I think some, one of the reasons why our tax system is complicated is because business life has got ever more complicated. Accounting has got, you know, immeasurably more complex um, over the course of my career. And, you know, for a normal pe person, accounting simply isn't understandable these days. Uh, and, you know, maybe the uh, those who, you know, the high priests of accountancy concepts understand it and think it's all better. But I do think that they could do something more to make it easier for general users and people to understand things. One of the things we see in tax all too often is a massive confusion between sales or turnover um, and the profit you make from a, a business activity. Uh, and too many people don't understand that. And it, it's a really important part of you know, tax and the concept of asking people to pay tax on how much they make, not how much they sell. And it's almost sort of quite um, quite reticent, I think, in terms of empowering people, right, to sort of make the decisions, being fully aware of the the implications and kind of the motivations behind it. Which, as as we spoke about earlier, with the rate of things changing in in the way that they are, you know, it's it's it kind of becomes all the more important, I think, to kind of empower the the population to be able to make those decisions based on the information out there. And, and, and I guess that kind of leads us into some of the, the topical bits that we're seeing from a tax perspective at the moment. You know, we're in a in a world where technology is is taking over and the rate of change around sort of automization and all those sorts of things are, are happening so much quicker, which is leading to an impact in industries and, and the way that people are employed in this day and age. Have you felt that there has been um, a significant shift when it comes to tax technology and, and kind of how do you envisage that changing moving forward into the future? 
Uh, well, I think we're a sort of important moment. Um, you know, clearly we do so much more with technology than we ever used to, but there's there's quite a lot further that we could usefully do to help people. But we need to have the sort of debate about, you know, should the system do it for you? And the risk there is that you, the individual, don't understand what is happening and you don't understand those sort of economic drivers on, on what you're trying to, to do. And that, I think, would be a real risk. And the other you know, risk you see in the technology world of tax is that people just accept it. You know, the computer says it, therefore it must be right. And of course, we all know there are errors in any sort of system and the, the best will in the world. Um, and so we need to sort of help manage all of that. But nonetheless, I do think technology can definitely help people uh, and be a force for good overall. And if it's implemented well, and I hope HMRC will obviously do that, um, then I can just see it actually building trust in the tax system, which which we were talking about. So I, I'm looking for you know third parties, let's say, to do more in the tax system. Um, currently, many people probably don't know that you know banks and building societies have to send details of interest income to HMRC every year, um, and they do. But the problem is that HMRC can't match all of that to our individual accounts. Now, you know, probably two thirds of that isn't taxable thanks to the personal savings allowance. Um, but a one third is taxable and that is millions of people potentially. Um, and it, it would be better if those banks and building societies had a unique reference of ours so that they could send the data in to HMRC, it could instantly well, pretty instantly be matched into you know, our tax accounts. We could see it to check it looked right. Um, and our tax affairs could be calculated for us, armed with that sort of better knowledge. And it'd be the same for pensioners, you know, the state pension. That needs to be upfront and visible and put into our tax accounts so that, you know, those people, those pensioners are roughly half who end up paying tax, have a better understanding of the system and have it managed better for them. It's almost touching on that point around transparency, isn't it? And, and tax transparency in terms of not just from a personal level, what we're paying, but also from a from a company-wide contribution, ESG type way. I think there's definitely a, a kind of current theme that sort of runs alongside that where tax technology is, is integral to, to that sort of pushing us forward. Do you see any any kind of jarring disadvantages of, of tax technology as it stands at the moment that could be potentially amended sort of pretty quickly from your point of view based on the landscape at the moment? I, as I say, I think the things that we need to debate about is how, does technology aid understanding or does it take it away? Mm. Um, and, you know, for me, that's really important that people still have that understanding and so I would hate it if the technology sort of masked the complicated black box, because that wouldn't help me or you or everybody else make the sort of better choices that, that we ought to be doing. We just sort of money would disappear. And that, that's not a good part of transparency. That's not a good part of trust in the system generally. So we have to be very careful, I think when using technology, but stuff that just passes on routine information to HMRC and then they process it properly and then I can see it and use it. You know, that for me is a real sort of aid in the whole uh, environment generally. Interesting. I was uh, 
looking at HMRC's uh, recruitment policy, and it is overwhelmingly now for tax technologists. So I think there's definitely something there. And I think it's the same with the larger professional service firms too. Um, you know, they're increasingly wanting people who, you know, have both technology skills uh, as well as tax skills, because you do need to blend both. Are you finding that, Victor? From from a recruitment perspective, I think tax technology is definitely an area of, of growth at the moment. Uh, but it's almost an unknown, right? I think it's quite a new skill set into the market where people are still sort of figuring out actually what point within tax technology is is the main skill set. Is it the, the project management element where we're rolling out to a business and we need somebody to kind of communicate how this works? Is it the the inception of, of kind of the idea of technology, of building something internally that sort of helps with the automation and provides better flow of information? There's, it's such a broad umbrella, the word technology and, and tax mm. technology, that I think it's still so new where people are still trying to figure out actually where is the, the centric around that? I think that the debate from from kind of some of the, the FTSE listed and some of the SMEs that we work with is very much around actually the, the kind of tax technology is itself sufficient enough where we say, right, you know, we're going to implement this solution and it will solve all of our problems versus actually having someone that's still manually involved with the process to be able to troubleshoot and, and almost be that liaison to a team that is is still quite new to this, right? So I think that that's sort of the debate around the tax technology skill set. But absolutely, you know, I think if I look at the rate of change of the DNA of the tax professional and the skills that I think people are looking for more in, in this current market are very much around actually, you know, are they able to implement certain solutions? Are we able to adapt technology and what that looks like for us as a business? Are we able to troubleshoot that and, and frame it for us specifically versus a, a cookie cutter version of a system? Yeah, I mean, we have in our own practice a unit that's dedicated towards things like being able to handle big data uh, because it's uh, you've got to have those analytical skills if you're going to be a tax professional of the future. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on. I have something really important to discuss uh, or ask of Bill. France already has it. Biden is pushing for it. And Schultz has announced uh, a $100 billion uh, Wende program, defense program that needs to be funded. And uh, all eyes are now on wealth taxes. Do you think it's a good idea? <laughs> I, I think that's a really hard question to look at. Um, if you look, you know, one, one of the points that people behind a wealth tax do make is that assets uh, and growth in value of assets haven't been sufficiently taxed in you know more recent decades it's true to say and that there has been a significant growth in assets held by the very rich um throughout and you know we know capital gains tax rates are much lower um not everyone pays inheritance tax on all their estate thanks to some of the reliefs that are sort of built into the system generally so you know you do have those sort of questions that need to be looked at. Um, however, introducing a wealth tax would be a really complicated endeavour. Uh, and my personal view is that a government that was concerned by the level of asset taxation ought really to start by looking at the taxes we've already got. 
um, they should look at capital gains tax. You'll know the Office of Tax Simplification produced uh, two reports on capital gains tax. Um, and, you know, the some of the issues are, uh, are sort of clear. Um, but people, funnily enough, have a quite different perspectives. There's such a, a range of different views about, you know, the level of capital gains taxation. We had people write in to us arguing that, you know, the rates of tax on capital gains should be the same as the rates of tax on income. Um, we had other people saying that absolutely not. That would, um, you know, it's critical that you have much lower rates of tax on income. And, you know, they're trying to reach um, uh, some sort of consensus there is, is almost impossible, it's fair to say. And I think if you look back over you know, history generally, politicians have taken quite different views. Nigel Lawson famously did unify the rates of capital gains tax and income tax. Um, those who came after him have reduced the rates of capital gains tax. Gordon Brown was very keen to, you know, incentivize entrepreneurs by offering them lower tax rates. Um, and although you could reasonably make the point that maybe entrepreneurs need the incentive going in, um, but there's equally a pretty strong feeling that that carrot of, you know, a lower tax on the gain you realise at the end when you, um, you know, you you exit your business or something like that, you know, that does seem to be a motivational factor, even though it's not really helping people by funding their business generally. But overall, I, I think it'd be better to look at capital gains tax. I think it'd be better to look at some of the, the questions of how inheritance tax works and the reliefs in that. And that would be a more productive system generally for me than trying to look at a wealth tax. The final area that, you know, again is worth, you know, the OTS has not looked at at all, um, is, is what to do about stamp duty. Uh, on property and what to do about council tax. And I think there's sort of a reasonably broad acceptance that neither is especially satisfactory as a means of taxing, but equally changing them is problematic. And, you know, some people have put forward suggestions for a land value tax. Other people have, you know, talked about abolishing both of them and charging an annual tax based on a percentage of the property value. Uh, I, I do think that's an area that is worth studying for the future. If you look at the main proponents behind the wealth tax movement, if I can call it that, mm -hmm. is the lack of fairness mm -hmm. that is often cited, and particularly in the United Kingdom or, or across the globe, the disparity between uh, the rich and the poor has, uh, you know, it just goes up and up. And I think that's really sort of like where it's coming from. And I completely take on board that there may be, it's obviously simpler to make use of existing uh, taxation mechanisms rather than introduce a new one. But do you think there is an overall need for some form of rebalancing to basically redress this imbalance that we're finding in society? I, I don't think that's really a question to which I can give a good answer. Um, that's a very political type of question, and that's probably not my sort of best area of expertise. I would just point out, though, that I'm not sure everyone fully understands all the facts in the situation. The extremes of wealth um, are much greater in the United States. And I was reading recently 
greater in Germany um, than they are in the United Kingdom. Um, and I just think it's worth bearing that in mind. It's also worth bearing in mind that you know, income equality has not changed over the last 20 or 30 years um, more generally. Now, I know income equality isn't the same as asset ownership as well. Um, but I do think you also need to ask, well, what is it, where was the public support from this? And, you know, some very good work done by uh, a, you know, a body called the Wealth Tax Commission, uh, which was essentially two academics, Dr. Aaron Advani and Dr. Andy Summers, and uh, a barrister, Emma Chamberlain, together with quite a lot of people helping. Um, and they looked at the questions of, of wealth tax. But the, the most important thing to conclude, I think, was where was the public support? And there is public support for a wealth tax, but only if it doesn't tax people's houses and it doesn't tax people's pensions. And the trouble with that, when you take those things out, you end up with a very narrow tax that doesn't attract, you know, it doesn't tax many people. Um, it you know, would, uh, would tax some of the most mobile uh, people and assets generally. Uh, and I think that is is definitely one of the reasons why wealth taxes across the world haven't really proved to be um, very acceptable or very effective uh, as means of taxing what we've actually got. Yeah. And as you say, when you take those two sort of major pillars out of it, you know, what, what is left in terms of actually the tangibles around it? And I think post the last two years with the pandemic and everyone sort of going back into business recovery mode, I think there is there is an element of sort of balancing the, the fairness around the tax system to sort of the, the direct contribution to the bottom line, which is which is a major factor. Now, now kind of being in the position that you are and, and kind of emerging out of the last two years, looking forward into the future and discussing some of the topical solutions that are on the agenda, what do you see the future of this being? How do you see the next sort of few years unfolding from a tax system point of view? Um, well, I, yeah, I think we can see a number of you know, big issues and problems in the system. The first is that we've got to do something surely about the very significant difference in tax treatment between employed people and self-employed people. Um, some people want to align that with employment rights as well, um, which is another complication to put into the whole system. But, you know, given that self-employed people pay substantially less tax than employed people, when you take account of employers' national insurance, of course, and the other costs of employment that go with it, such as apprenticeship levy for larger employers and so on, um, when you take account of that, we that difference is surely too big. And that is one of the issues in the structure of the UK uh, tax system, which does worse compared to other countries generally. The other big issue for the UK, of course, um, and indeed for everyone actually, is how to deal with environmental taxes. Um, they can't solve all our environmental problems, but they're currently not giving us sensible um, encouragement or discouragement either way. Mm. Um, you know, one, one tax that is actually really successful is landfill tax, um, which was a you know is is still a tax on uh, amounts of rubbish taken off the landfill fundamentally. Um, but the great thing about that, I, I would suggest, is that it was 
started off a low level and then you know increased fairly steeply after that so there was a sort of incentive to change and at the same time government put money into supporting recycling and reuse programs which are are, are really critical so it had both a sort of you know the stick and the carrots aligned together and i think you've probably got to do that with environmental taxation more broadly um, as we start to move forward and you know it would be good to start to see some public discussion of all those sort of various options generally well i i'm very uh, i feel very strongly about the environment and you know covid 19 sort of like disruption mm-hmm. has really messed that agenda up you know towards net zero so i think there was definitely areas of taxation that need to support that movement because mm-hmm. Across the globe, really, it's not just uh, in the UK. Of course. Um, one of the things I was going to sort of like, uh, as you know, Bill, we are specialist in financial services taxes. Mm-hmm. And post the global financial crisis, the sector was seen as, you know, easy prey where um, su- successive chances would come in and basically, you know, windfall taxes. And it completely started departing from the general economy, how that was being taxed, uh, and how the banking industry was being taxed. And I think they've been sort of like in the doghouse for a long time, and uh, perhaps rightly so, but, you know, they were there. Now, this idea of windfall taxes is an interesting one, where you just come in and basically say, you've made too much money, so I'm going to take some of it away from you. And uh, now, currently, it's uh, again under discussion, you know, particularly given the sort of like... uh, price rises and so on in the in the energy sector. Do you think it's generally a good policy to have windfall taxes? I think the challenge with windfall taxes is that they're not brilliant because they can disrupt investment patterns. And you probably don't want that when you're trying to design a system. Now, once in a while, there may be something that possibly should be recaptured. Um, Labour, as is, you know, may, people may recall, had a, a special windfall tax on the privatised utilities, essentially arguing that they'd been sold to the public too cheaply. Um, they'd proved massively popular and here was a one-off levy um, to do it. And it was sort of sufficiently flagged well in advance of the general, you know, the 1997 general election. And people went into it knowing there was going to be a five billion windfall tax on those privatized utilities. Uh, Whether it's right to do that in the oil and gas world, I think is more questionable, um, partly because our actual oil and gas production in the UK is really quite small. um, And we, we end up importing a considerable amount. So uh, a windfall tax wouldn't necessarily be a, a very helpful part of the tax system generally. So in principle, I'm not a, a fan of wealth taxes, of um, windfall taxes, but I can see that once in a while there, there's something to do uh, with them. But I'm not sure at the moment they would raise enough to actually be sufficiently successful. Excellent. Bill, I was going to ask a slightly different, uh, take the discussion in a different direction, which is, you know, I mentioned that you've had a really quite a remarkable career in different uh, areas, obviously within practice, but also sort of like the career that you have outside. And one of the things that you do is uh, you write for the tax advisor magazine. 
Uh, how did that start? And, uh, you know, is that, uh, does that take up a lot of your time? Um, I, I very much enjoy it. I write once a month. Uh, the hardest thing is always thinking of the topic. Once you've got that in mind, and I've got, you know, the article I'll be writing this afternoon in mind, then, it, it, you know, it's, it's relatively easy to do that. What I look for in writing is I want to, you know, put forward to readers something that they probably wouldn't encounter. So I'd like to give them some data that, you know, isn't always out there in the public environment straightforwardly uh, or pose, you know, interesting questions about uh, tax more generally. But I, I've always enjoyed writing. It's, um, you know, it's part of that thing I, I sort of talked about earlier. You know, tax is complicated. You know, the role of tax advisors is to take this complicated thing and put it in terms that regular people can understand. And that's what you know, I hope to achieve through my articles. Bill, you don't, uh, you don't seem to sit idle. I mean, God, writing for the Tax Advisor <laughs> magazine, the director of the Office of Tax Simplification, a member of the GAAR advisory panel. What do you think the future holds from a career perspective for you? In which direction do you see your career moving? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it's probably fair to say that I haven't got decades ahead of me <laughs> um, uh, for, from all of that. But, you know, I've been very privileged to have enjoyed, you know, have managed to get into something that I thoroughly enjoy um, that is, is challenging and interesting throughout that, you know, aspects of change I've talked about, you know, really matter that you have to deal with that and now you know working to try and make the experience of regular people of the tax system make that experience better is is a really you know invaluable thing i, I hope i can do with the whole team at the uh, ots of course um as we all work together on that and we've got to work you know to improve that system it's important that people understand it's important that people trust hmrc um, through all of that, despite some of the questions people raise. And simplification has a big part to play in that. And I hope to be doing that for uh, a few years hence, let's say. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Bill. And before we go into uh, our rapid fire round, I just wanted to recap what we have covered today. We had a really interesting discussion about your background, your time how you moved across from Anderson to Deloitte and then uh, to the OTS. We discussed your work together with Hector regarding technology. We discussed environmental taxes, wealth taxes. So it's been quite an interesting discussion so far. And we've also done a little bit of future gazing as to where things may go. With that, I would now like to sort of like... Uh, move to the next part. Bill, we may have spoken about technical tax subjects up until now, but this is where it really gets technical. We're into the rapid <laughs> fire. <laughs> Just to get to know you better, to get our listeners to know you better, we've got a few questions for you in the rapid fire round. So if you're okay. ready, shall okay. we kick off? Mm-hmm. Right. So early bird or night owl? Um, I used to be a night owl, but in, as I've got older, I've started getting up earlier, um, which is probably a bad. So I get up early and go to bed a bit earlier as well. But uh, it's a transition, let's say, through life. <laughs> Do you prefer cats or dogs? 
Oh, I'm not really a great animal person. I'm sorry. Um, looking after animals is really important. I'd hate to see them upset. But no, I, I don't think I could manage a pet. It'd be too hard with all the other things I try and do. <laughs> yeah, to squeeze it in. Um, city or countryside, which do you prefer? City overall. I love our countryside, but I would never want to live there. Art museum or history museum? Art museum, I think, would be fair to say. <laughs> Tea or coffee? <laughs> Called coffee. <laughs> I've started getting to interesting teas recently, though. So, again, nothing is static, it's fair to no. say. No. God, you'll need the coffee to power you through your list of, uh, list of things that you've got on the go now. And lastly, where is your next holiday destination? Ah, well, that, that I hope is fairly soon. And it's Portugal, Lisbon, Ooh, uh, nice. where I hope for a bit of culture and, um, you know, just seeing a bit more of, uh, of the capital of, of Portugal. You'll have to stock up on some uh, pasta de natas while you're out there. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bill, how have you been spending your time recently? Is there a particular book that has sparked your interest or a movie or something like that? I, I've watched a fair number of movies, which, uh, which has been great. But the thing I've really sort of just picked up on over the last few months is online bridge. You know, it's something that has really developed thanks to the pandemic. Uh, you know, I used to play bridge, you know, once a month or something like that in a bridge club. And now you can just do it for a sort of quick hour and a half and, you know, have, have great fun online. So um, that, that's, you know, a worthwhile thing to do. And you can, because it's online, you can actually play with people globally, which is fantastic. Oh. So how do you kick back, Bill? How do you relax and, and de-stress from all of the OTS and all the other things that you're up to at the moment? What's your... What's oh, your it's not a stressful role. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> not at all. No, you know, things like playing bridge, things like, you know, a bit of travel uh, is, is really enjoyable. Going to the theatre, uh, I was really lucky to see the fantastic performance of Cabaret. Um, with Eddie Redmayne and Jesse Buckley and um, you know they, they've come out of the show now but it's still a, a really great show and he's just one of the most memorable uh, well it was an afternoon in my case so uh, you know I, I loved that and uh, it definitely fully engaged me. Wow and lastly what piece of information or advice would you like to leave our audience with? Oh um, enjoy change uh, because it's going to happen and if you worry about it, it won't help you. So just, you know, stuff happens. Let, let's embrace it and carry on. And, and it's hard to do. It's easier to say, or like so many things. But that, I think, is really important for all of us. Amazing. Well, Bill, thank you for, uh, for joining us. Thank you to all of our listeners to listening to The Tax Files. It's been a pleasure having you join us. Please subscribe and get in contact if you wish to discuss any of these topics with us and our team, or if you have any questions at all. We will catch you here again at the same time next month with the most esteemed guest. To stay up to date with announcements, updates, and guest reveals, please follow Hansuki on LinkedIn. Thank you very much, and we hope to uh, see you again next time. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me.